0: Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza and uh, sometimes Nick and I just wonder, you know, what's gonna happen to people ten years from now in this area who don't own good assets. You know, internally we've been looking at income uh, growth over the last 15, 20, 25, 30 years. We've taken all the data from Stats Canada. We've mapped it against things like property prices. And whether you like real estate as an investment or you don't like real estate and investment investment, there's no arguing that incomes are just not keeping up with things like property prices. And if you extrapolate it out, you know, another 10, 15, 20, 25 years, It just really seems like there's going to be this group of people who own assets in this area and there's going to be, and by this area I mean in Canada and specifically in the Golden Horseshoe, and this stuff applies to everyone right across North America, but there's going to be people who own assets and there's going to be people who don't own assets. There's nothing in today's government policies that that make us think there's going to be less spending of money, less debt, um, cheaper money, which is going to drive up the prices of real assets for things like property. And then if in this area you mix in things like high immigration and relatively good incomes, it's just a recipe for continued growth of property prices. So sometimes I think we get a little lost in the weeds, maybe even arguing about what's the best strategy, what's the best, where's the best place to invest, and you kind of miss the big picture. That is, you know, you want to own hard assets in your life in an environment where the government continues to keep interest rates low, um, continues to spend more than it takes in. I'm not even making a comment on the government's policy. Selfishly, I don't even really care. I know that might sound bad. I'm just selfishly thinking for my own family. And when these policies are in place it really just seems like the best thing that we can do to protect ourselves from the declining value of the dollar is to own hard assets. So, you know, if if you haven't had the time to check out real estate, if you've been scared about it or if you've, you know, been given bad advice about it in the past, we do a training class for uh, people who've never met us before. Um, we talk about our adventures in real estate. We teach about some real estate investing strategies. It's a ninety-minute class. We do it about once a month or so. Um, register for that class. It's Nick and I who are always giving that particular class. We're both here afterwards. We can answer any questions. You can find the URL for that at Training.com. So if you go to CanadianRealEstateTraining.com um, and you want to learn more about real estate investing, you want to ask us any questions. At this point, we've pretty much been asked everything that you could possibly imagine. Come on out to our offices, come to that class. Um, We get really good feedback about that class and we're sure you'll learn a thing or two or hopefully you will. Um, Afterwards, we stick around, answer any questions. So um, we have a limited amount of seating in that class. Our membership continues to grow. Um, and new people are constantly coming and, and, uh, and joining the membership. So if you want that kind of uh, if you want to come to us and you're not a member, but you want some information from us, that class is the place to start. So it's Canadian real training.com. Um, if you fill in the information there, Jenny from our office, will reach out to you and confirm your seat in the class. Make sure you have it. She'll give you the latest date details and the R address and all that kind of funky information. But if it's something that's been on your mind for some while, and you want to meet a group, group of people who are together are doing this, try. Trying to figure out the strategies that work. Trying to figure out how to create cash flow. Trying to navigate through the financing. um, Trying to find out the best lawyers and paralegals and try to figure out the new Ontario standard lease agreement and everything. Um, This is likely a good place to start, or at least you can check out what we're doing that way. So CanadianRealEstateTraining.com to come out and uh, and check us out, and that's the introductory class for uh, people who are checking out Rockstar and the whole Rockstar membership and the whole bit. So um, with that in mind. Today, we have on a great guest. Andy Tran is just a great guy. You'll hear some of his story. Um, we start off talking about um, nothing to do with Second Suites, which is turning into a little bit of how this show operates. We talk a little bit of uh, of things that have nothing to do with real estate almost on every episode. So uh, we kick off with that, but we uh, segue over into Second Suites and have that whole conversation. Um, Andy has been through a journey just like all of us have. Uh, we just r- uh, realized in chatting before the show that we um, we uh, worked in the same building when I was at Oracle Corporation in Mississauga for a couple of years. He was working out of the same building for a little while. Um, so uh, small world. And then Nick uh, Nick and him across paths before. You'll hear it all on this episode of the show. At the end, Andy hand, hands out his uh, URL where you can find out more information about him. And like I mentioned, just a stand up guy, a great guy. Been through a lot himself. Thinks like us. Um, that's it. Enjoy the show. Andy. Andy doesn't have a mic yet. No, Andy, you have a mic. Can you... T- yeah. Let's hear something. There he oh, is. Yeah, so there we you go. are live. We're, sure. it's a, Perfect. This is a professional podcast. We're ready to go. But continue the conversation about the particle board walls. Yes.
1: Yeah, so we were we were just speaking about... Um, so we're going to speak about a lot about second suite. What are we speaking about today? Second suites. Right? All sorts of real estate stuff. <laughs> anyway, so back in the day when I was... I was working at the region of Peel up in uh, Brampton at... Uh, off of the Four Ten and Queen Street, and I was working up at that building, and I was going to look at. Uh, I'd started investing by that point, so I was going to look at different properties um, on my lunches and uh, probably during work hours too, which I probably shouldn't say, but it's, can't get fired from there now. So, um, so I was going to look at all these different very properties. responsible government employee. You were Nick, uh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did not fall into the stereotype. At were you all.
0: driving a government truck? So we're all of our taxpayer dollars paying for you? No, to go not. Looking at I, I not I think I was smart <laughs> enough
1: not to take the government car to go look at properties. You get the expression
0: right? on Andy's face. Andy's not sure whether he should believe this or not. Andy, oh, no, these, no. these are all true stories. Andy. I did take
1: the government car to go home and take us when it was hot in the middle of the summer. I had to go swimming to kind of cool off. So I did take the government car to make a pit stop at our parents' house to jump in the pool. That was very important.
2: Yeah, I always see, I notice those uh, city vehicles, like, you know, Region Appeal or uh, or, or Halton Region sort of parked under uh, a tree and, you know, under the shade in the summer. I don't know what, you what's know, going on there.
1: <laughs> it can be very stressful sometimes. You need to take those breaks, right? It's very important. But go on. So what were you talking about these um, properties? Yeah, so I was go- going into these properties, looking at basement apartments, and uh, shortly afterwards, or I guess a few years after this time, basement apartments in... In Brampton, were just kind of outlawed completely. Like you couldn't even have a stove receptacle. They outlawed stove receptacles in the basement stuff, because some of these basement apartments were just complete death traps. Um, I saw things. I saw walls built out of um, paneling the the paneling that you would normally put like for wainscoting or something on a wall. That's what like the whole wall was built off not drywall and then the paneling was just the paneling. Which that stuff goes up like like nothing, right? And it was just raw like raw wood that could just it would light a fire instantly. Some other stuff that they used was almost like cardboard, like it was like a glorified cardboard for walls in these basement apartments and stuff. It was like the safety um, component of it or the safety thought was just not there whatsoever. Um, And it it was I was in disbelief at some of these properties. I I, I had never seen this before, you know, and, and someone had someone's like, yeah, that's a certain name for it, a toilet. But there was like a toilet that was basically just a hole. And that's what people used. There was, I think, a toilet in the hole or something. I, I don't know, but I had seen some things in these basement apartments. That,
0: You're describing something pretty crazy now. No, no. If there but, was a hole and then a, a toilet no, no, it was inside on the, second, the hole. It was
1: on the second level, and it was like <laughs> what wood, wood, a wood box of plywood built around it or something. Like, it, it was like I'm, I'm telling oh, you, it gosh. was... I wish at you know- that time there were smartphones so I could have taken pictures. You wouldn't believe some of the stuff that I saw. And it totally freaked me out. And I was like, I don't want to own these types of properties and deal with these types of tenants that are going to, you know, comfortably live in these properties at all. Because, you know, just my beliefs were, were a different set. So second suites, that's why it's so important to talk about this. I mean, they've come a, f- a long way from what they used yeah. to be or what, what they were viewed as And we'll give you, a,
0: Andy, a proper introduction in one second here. I just need to... The hole in the, the, the floor just made me flash back to when I was backpacking through Europe and I was trying to get to Florence. And the train stopped a place called Firenze. And I didn't know that that was Florence in Italian. And I just had to go to the... Wa- I had to change trains. I didn't know if I was lost. I was with a buddy. And we jumped off the train and I had to go to the washroom. So I threw down my big backpack and I went into the washroom. And the washroom was just little holes in the ground with tread you know little places for your feet that had like tread tread kind of like (laughs) some grip so that you could kind of squat down and you just you know that was the hole in the ground that was the toilet and i remember coming out of that washroom thinking where are we are we lost in italy somewhere i didn't know i was in the outskirts of florence and this was a classic toilet this was probably 1994 no 95 ish
2: anyway you know the funny thing about that is in in asia especially china um that would that's a common thing throughout the country right but now they have high-end hotels that actually have those types of setups where it's basically somewhere where you can just grip your foot and it's 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 not exactly a hole but it's mimicking that see what's old
0: squatty potty who knew squatty <laughs> yeah. potty was ahead of its time
2: yeah that's a, that's amazing but
0: you know uh it's funny because i remember seeing our aunts and stuff and like where they would just you know now we're way off topic, but our family in Croatia had no running water or plumbing when we went there, Andy, in the summers. And the first time I had to kind of go to the washroom as a kid, you just get used to going out in the bush, right? You t- And they would buy toilet paper. That was like their, like, splurge for us. To that was like, lo- it was luxury. Yeah, and we would paper. just go in the bush and you just squat. You just got used to squatting. Like, squatting wasn't like a big deal. You just, wherever you were, you squatted. Anyway, well, uh, yeah, so this, with this that introduction, definitely took a, <laughs> <yeah, laughs> a little the, bit of a right turn <laughs> to start yeah, off uh, well, this one. Yeah, so Andy, um, we'll, uh, y- th- the whole second sweet thing, how did you get, st- can you describe what Did you give
1: Andy the intro yet? No, you, you I'm said gonna you you were going intro. to
0: do an intro. Everyone will have heard an intro that I'm going to do before this, so a nice intro for Andy. I want to okay. jump into the, the second sweet stuff. Um, Andy, how did you get started into,
2: how did you get started in real estate, first of all? So with real estate, uh, it's something that I've always been, um, since probably the mid-2000s, something that I was always thinking about. And in 2006, not knowing what I was doing, me and uh, a few of my family members, like um, uh, like a few of my cousins, we just bought a pre-construction condo. And it was hilarious because we went into this uh, presentation center. This was downtown Toronto on uh, Simcoe and Adelaide. And it was like five of us and we went in and we're like, Yeah, we're ready to invest. We wanna we wanna buy a pre-construction condo. And and we were just we were just pestering this lady and asking her a million questions. And this was like this condo was literally hundred and ninety-nine thousand dollars. And we were saying, Oh, you know what, should we uh, should we do the three thousand dollar locker? Yes or no? Should we do the twenty thousand dollar parking? And we were constantly pestering And Meanwhile, she was probably getting um, you know, foreign buyers that were buying like ten units or twenty units you yeah, well. Def- yeah,
0: she totally was yeah. yeah, and
2: and she was super nice and like really sweet, but it was it was just really funny because we didn't know what we were doing and I mean like obviously the market carried us right, but during that time I um, did a lot of research and I know a lot of the, your guests talk about uh, sort of uh, that that book that sort of changed your mindset, which is which is rich dad poor dad. Right, it didn't really give you any tactical information, but it really just changed your mindset in terms of what the possibilities are, and it's not necessary that you have to be, sort of, you know, stuck in, uh, you know, a job or something that you're not you're not interested in, right? So, I mean, typically, I was it was in that corporate environment where you know I didn't see myself being there for a long time, and started learning about real estate, and it wasn't until what were you
0: doing in the corporate environment? What were you doing?
2: Uh, well, I. So maybe I should go a little further back. Sure, yeah. yeah. So I um I came out of architecture school in the late 90s and uh, worked uh, for a bit uh, for a construction company and I just I didn't enjoy it. Um and uh so I actually went back to school and took something totally different different which was uh telecommunications management. And uh Whoa,
0: that's a hard right turn. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah,
2: yeah. And um funny funny story, actually uh Mark Greenwich was in my class. No way. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God! Yeah, there's so so many for anyone people. listening to this, when? you
1: went to Sheridan,
2: Sheridan College, yeah, yeah. So when I was oh, at Sheridan,
1: I saw Mark come into no. some of my class into the computer lab because I was at Sheridan at the same time, um, taking whatever systems analyst or something. So I,
0: did it, you ever tell me pro- you saw Mark Greenwich? It, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I don't tell you everything. It, there's
2: wow. so many overlaps, like with with that's uh, funny the crazy. Oracle building. So if you're listening, to so the so if you reason- saw a
1: crazy guy screaming down the hall maybe a little bit drunk from leaving the pub or something at Sheridan. That might have been me.
2: Did you go to the cage on Wednesday
1: oh, nights? Not normally on Wednesday <laughs> nights, no, but yeah, that's, wow. that's funny.
2: So Andy was the nice
0: studious person, and you were the person drinking too much for cheap beer. Yeah, at, and they, well, they also had, some had a place called the cage. And they right? had they
1: had the game, the NFL Blitz in the arcade there, and yeah, I yeah. spent some qual- some serious quality time with that arcade game too. The
0: reason that we're all having a reaction to Mark Grinage is Mark Grinage. I uh, I went to grade school with Mark Grinage. Uh, I remember the first day that Mark walked into grade one because he started a couple of days after the rest of us started. I guess he just moved into the area and he came in just bawling. I'm sure he's going to want me to share that with everyone. So I just want to make sure I'm clear. <laughs> he came in. He was crying. His father was at the door. He was crying. We became really good friends right through grade school. Um, and then we kind of after... University, we just drifted kind of separate ways, hadn't heard from him. And then all of a sudden he showed up one day and he's like, I want to invest in real estate. And through Rockstar, we helped him buy some properties. And now he's a coach here at Rockstar. And he took a year off and he's been traveling around the world. Yeah, that's amazing. With with his family. Yeah, that's pretty cool. He's actually, Andy, just so you know, we're we're talking to our cousin right now. He's going to be staying at our place in Croatia uh, next week. So Mark's going to be staying in Croatia next week with his family. They're doing their Croatia stop on their World War Tour. But anyway, so back to you. So you went and took that course at Sheridan, and then what?
2: Uh, yeah, so I came out and uh, Talk after Talk right that, into the mic, right I, into the
0: mic. You can you can pull it down
2: and everything. Yeah, there you go. So I, uh, yeah, graduated, and I, I still didn't know what I wanted to do, so I backpacked in Europe. I took, Did like, you? three months, and yeah. Slept on, you know, cheap hostels and on the beach sometimes, kind of and yeah yeah, so was, yeah, yeah, that was fun. Came back and I found a job in that industry, in the telecom industry, and uh, it was uh, a company that I worked for uh, um, around between the years of roughly two thousand and two to two thousand and seven uh, in Mississauga uh, doing telecom. But during that time, I was I was sure within a year working there, I didn't want to be there either. And so that's when I started looking into home inspections. And between around mid-2000s, I started studying and actually even started a part-time home inspection company. And I thought that that was really going to be the direction where I was going to be headed in terms of starting a business and getting into real estate. And uh, that was great because the home inspection, I learned so much about houses in home inspections compared to architecture school. Because architecture school, it's really, you know, just very theoretical and and they don't really get into the nitty-gritty of how a house is built. But home inspections, I had to look at furnaces, I had to look at electrical systems, I had to climb up on a roof, get into crawl spaces. And that experience was really good when I was actually going out looking for houses, right? So fast forward to 2007, I started working as a home inspector for a company downtown Toronto called Carson Dunlop doing home inspections. And between 2007 to 2011, roughly, I probably inspected about 1,300 to 1,400 houses and just saw everything, like just saw... That's the best way to learn, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and and how that forlayed into secondary suites was people constantly asking me, is this a legal secondary suite? <laughs> that was their number one it. question, especially in downtown Toronto. They were always saying... I wanna rent this out. I know I can rent this out for fifteen hundred dollars. Is this legal is the city of Toronto gonna to shut
0: me down, Andy, or are they not gonna shut me down?
2: Basically. And everybody yeah. asks that question,
0: especially when you're beginning, you don't know, you're scared, and there was no really good answer. There still are I mean, it's still tough to get solid answers, but it's uh it's much better. But back then, what did you tell people
2: back then? Um, I I would always tell them Ask your realtor yeah. or ask uh, your lawyer to see no, the documents. No, so You're you deferring. You deferring.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I see it. Yeah, and
2: yeah. and and say, uh, yeah, call the city. They might have some records, right? Yeah, at yeah. the end of the day, I didn't know. I, I, you know, I knew some things, right? I knew they uh, looking at these houses. I knew that they were unsafe. Like I knew that you have to have proper egress windows and fr- proper fire separations. And I know they didn't have that, but I didn't have the information to tell them what specifically they needed to do. But they wanted to know if it's legal. And so I thought the best answer would be, you know, you have to find out from the city or from your lawyer are, to see if there which is, is, right? Which is the best answer. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but I got that question constantly because I did so many, out of all the inspections that I've done, probably half of them were in the east end of Toronto, sort of the beaches Danforth area, where it's just a high density of old houses that, you know, had basements with water issues and there were apartments down there and a lot of them were like death traps and they were people kept constantly asking me the same question. Is this a legal apartment? Can I rent this out, right? And I just thought, you know, there's so many people that wanted to get the answers, and and I figured, you know, now that I'm getting into real estate, and this is when I first started uh, purchasing real estate uh, as an investment. So I worked with Erwin around so what 2010. Year are we? 2010 10? now. Okay, got it. And uh, so I uh, purchased a couple properties with uh, with Irwin, and uh, still working at Carson Dunlop as an inspector at this time. And yeah, just people asking me the same questions. And that was also the same time, just before the investment properties when I purchased my own home in Scarborough. And I decided that I figured if I learn, really learn this and really understand this, I can translate this into a business. And so th- I went through the process. And this was around, um, so I purchased the home in 2009, principal residence, and 2010 was when I put in the permit application with the city. And they were surprised. They were like, "What are you? What are you doing? Like,
0: you're doing this legally? Yeah, and properly. Yeah, I, I went down. <laughs> we to We don't it. know how to handle <laughs> you, Mr. Andy Tran.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, at first, I was just gonna do it, and I was like, you know what? This is a good opportunity for me to go through this process because people keep asking, is you know, is there a unit legal? So I went to the um, uh, Scarborough City Hall in uh, Scarborough Town Center, and I, you know, um, I had really been been rusty with the stuff that I learned in school. So I hand drew all my drawings. And I took it to them, and they were looking at me funny. And they were saying, what are you doing here, right? And I said, um, doing, doing a legal secondary base uh, suite. I went through all the Toronto bylaws, and I know that you guys do allow them. And he sort of told me, he says, yeah, but, you know, they're all illegal anyways. It was kind of funny because this, <laughs> this was the guy at the city. <laughs> this is guy at the front desk. They're
0: all, we know they're all illegal. Basically, we don't, here's what he's saying. We know they're all illegal, but we need housing. So just us as a city aren't doing anything about it at that time
2: yeah. anyway. Yeah, basically. But I, you know, cause I was really insistent on going through the process because I, I told him I wanted to learn. He says, well, OK, well, you can you can make sure just I'm not going to tell you how to do it. <clears throat> you have to do you have to design it as a homeowner. You can do it yourself. So at the time, I was not a licensed designer. And um, so a, a, as a homeowner, you can do the design, but you, you're you not they'll help you. But they're, they don't want to design the work for you because, A, it's a lot of work for them. And B, uh, it's, uh, you know, they don't want to take any liability for that, right? So this was me going, parsing through 685 pages of the Ontario, Bu- Ontario Building Code, making sure that everything met the, the requirements. So, you know, after a month of going through this thing and putting all the drawings by hand, I, I submitted to them. And, you know, it was, you know, they were actually kind of surprised. They were saying, oh, okay, you actually put in a lot of notes here um, that are relevant. Um, and so there was probably about a couple of weeks of back and forth with uh, myself and the plans examiner, and finally we had a we had the working drawings that I could use to do the to do the basement suite renovation. So this is a backsplit so, in, in Scarborough. And
1: this was before what was it, Bill One what, what Thirty Six? What it Bill One Forty? One One Forty. Yeah. So this was before that. Yeah, just right? a couple of years before that. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. so that everyone's familiar with Bill One Forty. Bill One Forty is what came down the pipe that mandated from the province that all municipalities started allowing so how i mentioned earlier brampton had basically outlawed second you know basement basement apartments the province mandated that all municipalities put in guidelines for how to allow them in one in one yeah, you know, and we should how, define you know, it. it
0: so how to illegally allow a second Basically rentable well, unit. What they call a second. What they, they call, call a second secondary suite, suite which is basically house, yeah. like turning a single family home into like a duplex if someone's kind familiar of, yeah. with that, but legally. Um, so you did
1: what, that. So and, and this was done all before that. At the time, so Toronto had these these guidelines in place when some other municipalities were kind of outlawing them. You found that, and you kind yeah. of went through this process.
2: Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, so Toronto actually allowed them since the year two thousand. Okay. Um, prior to that, a little bit of history before that was that prior to nineteen ninety. I would say 1994. Um, there was no bylaws with regards to secondary suites, so you can actually put them in as long as you did everything properly with a permit and everything. Um, but after that, uh, all the municipalities basically said, after around 1994-1995, that we're gonna we're not gonna allow them in our cities because of opposition, right? and bit midnight well you had some areas i think brampton's
0: protest was that they were just getting so many people living in a denser in, in this area that their social services couldn't keep up with yeah. all the new people living in these homes right because the population that... was was going up then the province came in with this bill saying there's a whole different thing where the province is trying to prevent urban sprawl and saying hey all you cities we need to legally get together and start a lot that this. and the
1: province also i mean in, in not you know so many words they pretty much came out and said like look we have a housing issue an affordable housing totally. issue, and we need we we're, we're obviously not be able to solve it. We have we can't manage our money because we just want to spend it on all sorts of ridiculous stuff that you like canceling the no power plant for a billion dollars. No, no, no little jabs at the government. No little jabs always. Uh, we, when it comes uh, to the the of financial mismanagement, but so they can't solve it, so they're looking at the private investor to solve it. That that's basically, basically. what they came out and saying, saying like, look, we need the private real estate investor to help us solve the housing crisis. This is one way we see this happening, right? Your points, Your, which is you the, know what the, the, the I just want to make a point. Yeah, and I just too, want to but.
0: make a point on that. I think real estate investors should be proud that they're investors because they are offering good quality housing. The majority of them who are doing it properly to to basically the You're province right. of Ontario. And sometimes I feel like real estate investors get a bad rap because they're looked at as greedy. Landlords. They're looked at as greedy yeah. landlords, and especially in the media, a lot of the times they they're kind of get that you know hey this greedy landlord's trying to do this. But really, what's happening is the province isn't able to solve housing. They come up with these bylaws and saying, "Hey, we're going to do this second suite stuff." And every municipality around Ontario—I hope I'm paraphrasing this properly—should have their second suite bylaws. And now investors can go do them properly
2: well, and provide housing.
1: Yeah, and this this one you were talking about, Andy, this was your own property that you were putting the second suite in, or this was a, 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 already a rental property?
2: No, this was my own principal residence. So you were putting yes. in a basement
1: suite. What were, what were you going to rent it out for at that time? Like, what did it, what, once it was done? What, what did you end up renting it well, out? Well,
2: I for? never had an intention of renting it out. So. Okay, Andy's like uh, we, us. He just did something to. <laughs> Learned. yeah that's great <laughs> yeah so I uh, so at that time um, I was uh, um, 2009 was when I was living in a condo um, with my girlfriend at the time now wife and uh, my parents were also renting a house and we said um, you know I want to invest in real estate and I don't think that I'm going to be able to do it if I put all my resources uh, into my house right so we decided basically to put our money together and we purchased the house and it was a back split and we divided it into a legal duplex. And uh, the great thing is that we all live under one roof right now. I get uh, free childcare a couple of days of the week, so that's, that's nice. Oh, that's that's, that's huge, uh, very yeah. valuable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, so yeah, that was also a learning process for me. And my thinking was that long term, I, uh, I was going to um, uh, be able to not have to hide anything if I ever want to refinance the house or if I want to uh, sell the house later to say that it's a fully legal, Uh, secondary unit. It's a a legal two unit. Here's all the permits. Here's the the report from the city indicating that. And I felt that that's going to translate to potentially a higher value down the road, right? Whether I sell or refinance. And that's sort of the argument that I I say right now for people who want to do it is that um, at the end of the day, the renovation costs are going to be the same. Um, And the difference really is the additional permit fees and potential design fees that you incur, right? But that is going to pay back for itself. Yeah, we, I mean,
1: we've learned, like, look, in this type of, in, with this type of thing, if you're going to do it, you know, like you said, you're going to go through the trouble of doing the, the renovations anyways, do them right the first time. It's going to save you all sorts of costs, and, and, and there's, there's going to be additional benefit when you're selling, like you said, when you're going through that process. Do it right the first time and save yourself all the headaches afterwards, because we've seen countless of people, and I've learned this lesson myself the hard way. Whereas you try to cut corners the first time you do it, and then you go back it ends up costing you more time and effort because you have to redo different things. And I'm like, what What the heck was I doing?
0: So our path started to cross, Andy. So now we're – when did you – sorry, when did you finish that? 2000
2: and – when did you, leave, you know, get the final permits on it? Um, funny thing is I had it open for a couple of years, so I didn't close it out until 20, 2012. So I was just because I was doing it by myself. I was doing it piecemeal. Um, and I didn't actually close it out until around 2012. And so once that was done, uh, that was, uh, yeah, I was into sort of the real estate investing at the time I was still working for the company, but I was figuring out a way to be able to exit out of that and get into to real estate. Yeah, so I
0: just want to talk about it because this is where our paths cross now. So I think when we started Rockstar back in 2006, we were doing a lot of single-family stuff, you know, single-family rental, single-family rent to own, single-family home as a student rental perhaps, and then maybe around the years 2013, 14. When did that bill
2: 140 come? When did that get announced?
1: A while ago now. I got yeah, announced so it one was, year, then it, it went into effect the year after. 20,
2: it, it's... uh it came into effect in 2012, but it didn't. Uh, the The province did not set a deadline as to when the municipalities had to comply. But so then they ended up setting a deadline later, correct? Um, not that I'm aware of. Well, so basically, right. all the cities have pretty much all the major cities, especially the ones that we're looking at in terms of investments. They've complied with the with that bill, but there are still a few cities. Okay. That Is that are, why
0: Oakville doesn't? I don't think Oakville has anything definitive.
2: They do. do, they do. They yeah, do yeah but they have specific areas. They took
0: a while. Yeah. They took, they it took seems took like, a like the longest. Yeah. Yeah, it okay, was tough so there man, was... early
1: on because all the cities have different um, guidelines and which, which they still do, but then it was tough because no matter who you speak to at the city, you're getting a different answer. A lot of the time, like I remember calling, I, I, you know, it was depending on the city, but you would get, some of them were very vague in what the guidelines were early on. And, and there, uh, half the people that were answering the phones to answer those questions didn't have the answers. Whereas some cities all laid it out very nicely online. There was exactly what you needed to do. Um, there was a lot of kind of it was tough to get the information as an investor early on even once the things were passed i'm sure there's still some some difficulty with some municipalities where it's a little bit of a moving target sometimes when you're yeah, trying to go through the yeah, process yeah there
2: are a few cities that is is difficult but in terms of uh, many of the cities that we're working with it's day and night compared to when i started yeah back in, i believe in that. 2010 so like it, there's there's a lot of good information a lot of cities will have um they'll have good sort of a couple of page cheat sheets in terms of some of the major things that they're looking at for the bylaws and the building code but more. Which are those cities? Um, I would say uh, uh, when it comes to secondary suites, uh, cities like uh, Hamilton, um, Kitchener, Barrie, uh, they have really good uh, information in place. Um, Mississauga. Um, I would say. Uh, a lot of a lot of the cities where it does make sense for us to invest and convert into two units and be able to make cash flow, they they have the the information in place right now. So what they about do Brantford? You. Uh, Brantford, yes, as well. Pretty good. Yeah. Uh, St. Catharines. Uh, St. Catharines is good, but uh, they're a little bit challenging on on uh, some, several other areas, um, and it has to do with the complications in their bylaws. So um, I'll give you an example. So they have a. Um, a different way of interpreting a house that is a duplex compared to one with a with an accessory suite. So that's where um, the the bylaws of that particular city is very important to know in terms of what they define it as, right? So if you're in Kitchener, for example, a two-unit is a duplex, is a house with an accessory su- suite, they don't differentiate anything. All the same. They're all the same. Whereas in St. Catharines, a house with an accessory suite is uh, something that they intend to... Uh, do only in those sort of low-rise single-family neighborhoods where they want to be able to add additional housing units and not change the character of the neighborhood by too much. And a duplex is something that is in a different area, some somewhere where uh, it's uh, potentially a higher-density area, somewhere perhaps closer to a larger um, uh, major artery. And so how you define it and how you actually position it is very important. And so we've been finding that that's been challenging to design the houses uh, to contain these secondary units in, in a city like St. Catharines. Uh, because uh, your typical bungalow, the sort of the post-war 1950s, 1960s bungalow with uh, 800 to 1,000 square foot footprint, that is very ideal for a secondary unit because you have that basement apartment that can be used for it. But now St. Catharines says that you can only use 650 square foot of that as a secondary unit. So you have this big sp- chunk, another three 400 feet in the basement that you have to figure out what to do with. And so we've been having a lot of challenges in terms of how we define that extra space. Why do you think they're space.
0: doing that? Like, I, I know you're explaining that their bylaws define yes. differently, but like, what's the, that seems like such a ridiculous thing. It does. Like, it's, yeah. it's beyond comprehension to me.
2: It is. It is very silly. And uh, this, these types of bylaws were determined through a public process in every city, right? So in Hamilton, they actually have the opposite thing where they say that the minimum size has to be 700 square feet so it. so in hamilton they say uh <laughs> One you can have the
0: minimum the other one's the maximum
2: exactly yeah so most of the time they don't want that secondary unit to be larger than the than the upper unit they want it to be 50 percent or lower Some, sometimes the city will say 40 percent, but um with uh yeah with hamilton they say minimum 700 with st Catharines they say maximum 650 and i think the reason could be that um i don't know but maybe several years ago when they had this public process and they were saying um you know we need to Provide more affordable units. What can we do to sort of minimize the the the, um, uh, the changes in the neighborhood? And maybe one of the arguments was that if you make it smaller, there's potential for um, there's less potential for a large number of people to be in that unit, so it's not going to affect the neighbors as much. That's sort of probably the reason that I can see that could be
1: could be keeping rents down to Smaller units will generally get lesser rents there, there could be any you know who knows the logic yeah even, that side.
2: can you so what's the process
0: now us pick a city like you said barry's pretty good or kitchener's pretty good what would be the process to go through like say someone is buying a single family home it's in an area that's zoned or i wouldn't even say that you lead us you buy a home in an area how do you turn it into a legal second suite
2: yeah so the first thing that's very important is to uh make sure that you're in a in a zone that allows it um there are certain certain cities with um, particular zones for whatever reason, maybe it's close to a college where they will say they won't they won't allow secondary units because uh, potentially they're worried about students and things like that, right? Um, there are specific entire cities that don't allow them. For example, Stony Creek right now in Hamilton still doesn't allow them. Um, Ancaster, but I mean, Ancaster is not an investor market anyways, right? But there are some cities where it's not zoned for it. See, the first, first thing that's very important is to check the zoning. Um, a lot of information, like I said, are available online, either in a, some sort of an interactive map that's online that you can go to that city's website and pull up a particular address and find out what are the types of things that you can do in that particular um, uh, property, like within, within, the, within the property line, what you can do. And, and that's very important, not just for secondary units, but if you ever want to consider doing small development, like turning it into uh, potentially a triplex or a fourplex or something down the road, it's something good, that's good to know. Uh, or they have some documents like uh, their uh, zoning bylaw document that you can you can download. Usually it's like a couple hundred pages or something like that. And just go through and find out if your property within the zoning map allows it. Okay, Or you can just pick up the phone and give them a call.
0: Yeah, I was going to say to pick up the phone. The only <laughs> danger sometimes of picking up the phone and giving them a call back to Nick's point is sometimes you get legitimately the wrong answer. Yes. So if anyone listening to this, you pick up the phone and you get a call and you're suspicious. If that's yeah, you got to double right check answer. it. Double check the
2: answer.
1: Sometimes yes, it's you know. hang up and call, call back and call speak back to in a different person. customer service yeah. rep and get yeah, the different yeah, answer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you
2: don't. <laughs> You don't know if you're speaking to a planning specialist that's been working there for 30 years or an intern that just got that, there right. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So and, y- and you brought up another good point because a lot
0: of investors we work with do this uh andy they'll buy properties as a single family home on a lot a large lot in a city like a kitchen or somewhere or hamilton or Barrie on a large lot but it's in an area that they know the zoning will allow them to not build necessarily a second suite but an extension or a second, uh, we have we have people doubling the size of their properties, yeah, um, because the city will allow up to a certain percentage of the lot to be used for the house footprint, and then they're building like a. You know, they're doubling the size of the property, essentially doubling the potential income they're going to be making on that property.
1: Yeah, they might um, be making the property bigger, adding a second story, whatever, depending yeah, on what yeah, the yeah. options are.
0: In addition to doing things like second suites and stuff. So that zoning stuff can be really valuable information. Even if you don't intend to build now, just knowing what you said, Andy, is a huge, hugely valuable tip to investors.
2: Yeah, you want to know what the, the limits are, what the boundaries are. And then it's not even that you have to be within the boundaries. You can even go beyond the boundaries. And that's where you have to go through a variance process. But the key thing is that the cities actually, most of the cities, um, they're they're usually on your side when you want to do that type of stuff. It's just that they now have to involve the community as well for their input because the cities, they definitely want you to actually build more, right? They want they want more housing. So, so
0: I get the zonings, okay? Next yeah. step is?
2: So the next step is, uh, yeah, putting together the uh, um, the permit drawings, uh, basically all the documents to show how your unit's going to comply with the building code. So if you own the home... Um, you can do it yourself. So if you understand the building code and you're okay with uh, putting together permit drawings, uh, you can do it yourself, or you can hire a architect. Uh, what's called a BCIN designer, which is myself. Uh, building code BCIN stands for building code identification number, and it's basically um, Ontario's way to recognize that that person is qualified and they understand the building code enough to be able to uh, produce permit drawings and documents to so submit to the do city. So
0: how you have that now? Is that because of your architect architecture background? What, what?
2: Uh, yeah. Well, architecture definitely helped it. Uh, and just, you know, understanding the building code, I've, t- I've taken many building code courses. So I decided uh, when I first started the business in 2015, I actually outsourced um, a lot of work to other uh, designers. And I was basically that uh, person that was working with sort of coaching the, the client and working with the designer. Um, but I decided it made sense for me just to get it uh, myself and to be able to sort of do, do it also. Um, at the same time, also having other other partner uh, architects and designers uh, that we can work with as well.
0: And we didn't. So, just at this point, is this when you walked away from your job?
2: Uh, yeah, it was around that time. So, I was I was basically fully employed up until um, uh, early twenty seventeen. So, I was doing it part time for probably about uh, close to two years. Doing it part time because you know I'm very. Risk-averse. What was it? Why, why did you? Why did you, so? Why why did you finally pull it? Pull it and say I'm I'm quitting. I'm going on my own. Oh, it's just uh, it just came down to the uh, the dollars, right? Uh, it, I was losing out on work because I didn't have the time. So um, I was at a point where the income that I was producing part time was not replacing my income. But it was, um, it was probably around 50%. And I felt that at that point that if I had left my job full time, that the time that I had available will more than make up for, for that other 50%. And it it definitely did. Another example of
0: how, uh, you know, an entrepreneur or someone leaving their job is actually risk Risk averse averse, and not a risk taker. But uh, okay. So um, now you, someone goes, they can hire someone like yourself or for the, the homeowner, they can do it themselves. Right. And then if they hire someone like yourself, what is it exactly that you're doing? You're doing the drawings. You're making sure that everything in the drawing is going to be uh, done according to the bylaws of that particular area. Is that what's happening? Yeah. Yeah. So we go uh, on like site. Like window size. I remember there's some crazy stuff like amount of sunlight coming in and all this stuff that you've told us.
2: Yeah. There's a ton of things. So the first thing we do is verify all the zoning for them first to make sure that it's uh, it complies. Uh, And then we'll go on site, we'll uh, take all the measurements and then come up with a design that's going to meet all the bylaws. So make sure that we meet all the parking requirements, all the lot size requirements for the city, all that sort of stuff that is specific to the city. And then also make sure that everything complies with the building code, right? So things like building height, things like windows for for escape. Uh, uh, We talked about ceiling height, um, fire, uh, smoke alarms, fire doors, fire separation. So we come up with that design and our team puts together the permit drawings and all the specifications and documents and instead of just handing it to the the homeowner or investor to say here you can take this now we take it uh, to the city on their behalf and during that two to three week process that's when we will work with the city to make sure that uh, if there's any issues that we will uh, make revisions so that it does comply with it so then the um, city
0: gives you the thumbs up and says okay you can begin now what doing the work yeah contractor can come in and begin using using these designs to actually implement the second suite
2: right yeah so they'll just give us the uh, the permit uh drawings one set we we submit two sets to them and they send us one set back and they say that this is the one you have to keep on site and there's also a permit document that you have to post on the window to show that you're actually doing um, work under under permits because if a neighbor walks by, they want to know that if you have that big garbage bin out there, that you're legitimately allowed to do the work that you're that you're proposing to do. So that's basically the the uh, approval from the city to say that now you can go ahead and do that work. And during the process, when's the city coming in to check anything? Are they? Yes. Yeah. So there's uh, several. So uh, let's uh, take an example of an entirely unfinished basement or a basement where you're uh, gutting it. Uh, and bringing it down to the foundation. Um, so there's various stages of home uh, of inspections, right? So there's uh, the, the, ins- uh, the, the part where they're gonna check to make sure the framing and the plumbing is okay. And then uh, you have the wiring, which is done by us, not the city, but by the electrical safety authority. And uh, insulation, uh, all that stuff that you need to be able to see before you put the drywall up. And then they're gonna look at that and give you the okay. And then you're gonna put close drywall, the yeah, close up the walls. And then usually that's when they do another inspection and then there's a bunch of things that you're going to do. And then they have a sort of a final occupancy inspection, which sort of says that this is everything is done. uh, All your smoke alarms work. You do have the right size window here um, and you can go ahead and have occupancy now.
1: What about for the people that don't want to go through that, you know, quote unquote hassle and they don't want to deal with the city and don't want to get the permits? Do you work? Do you like what? Do you just kind of wash your hands of the situation right away? You, re- you know, I know, I know what you obviously recommend to do it, but there's, there's got to be some people that kind of come out and say, "Look, I just want to put up some walls here. I'm yep. going to build a unit in the basement, you know, f- Andy, couple just bedrooms just kind of tell and me kind of sort
0: of what to do. Yeah. Can you just give me <laughs> advice,
1: and I'll I'll just going to find a contractor to deal to to, to, to to do it. You know, I don't I don't want to get the permits.
2: Yeah, no that that happens actually all the time. All the time we we go in and it's uh, crazy how much that happens. There's uh there's various reasons, and I never tell somebody that they have to get a permit or they have to do it legal because I do understand that. A lot of times it is a difficult process. A lot of times it may be something that is perhaps not even a safety concern. You know, maybe they have, um, you know, all the uh, all the proper uh, fire separation. They have the 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 egress windows, and they have everything that you know makes this a pretty safe apartment. But uh, for some reason, maybe there's a particular area, you know, that is a little bit lower than the required height uh, for for headroom. Maybe there's a room, like the living room, doesn't meet. The 150 square foot requirement; those are more comfort issues. And if somebody doesn't want to rent a house because the living room is too small, they can choose not to rent it, right? So in a lot of situations, I'll I'll let people know that you know it's it's probably uh, it's it's totally up to you, right? At the end of the day, you can't call it legal until um, the city actually has approved it and you do have paperwork, right? But doesn't
1: that say something about the contractor that's willing to do go in there and do the work without the permit without the proper permits? Right. Because like, like, like right away, if I got if I got a contractor that is willing to start doing the work for me, he's like, yeah, don't worry, we don't got to get permits. I'm just wondering, for someone that's doing, you know, my job, I'm just wondering what other corners he's willing to cut and kind of what you know what problems might run into afterwards i i, I don't know like i'm i'm, I'm asking like in you, you know i don't know from what you, you've seen i guess maybe you don't do you deal with the contractors directly when you're working with these guys with with the your with the clients like with yeah, the homeowners
2: some, yeah well my service is i coach the uh, the investor or the homeowner to work with their with their contractor okay. but invariably we do have a lot of contractors that we end up working with uh in, in multiple occasions and so uh, we deal with them directly and um i would have to say that I mean, all the good contractors that I have worked with—they have no issues if their work is being scrutinized by the city. I mean, a lot of times they don't want to have to do that, but uh, they feel comfortable that their quality of work uh, can pass the test with the city. And I, I feel that that's a good filter when you hire when you're hiring a contractor—is if the h- contractor does not want to deal with the city for whatever reason, um, then uh, you know that might be a good indication that. Yeah, know, there, they if, may be willing to cut corners. I'm not saying that they all are. There, no. there could be specific reasons why they don't particularly want to work with, with a uh, a building inspector. Yeah, or, if they're, uh, if they're yeah.
1: avoiding the city, then I think. It and could and be I think a, most a of the cases where
2: people aren't going
0: and getting it, uh, the the paperwork to say it's a legal second suite is they might already have a house that's like, na- they feel is 90 percent close to meeting all the right criteria. So they're like, ah, do I really have to kind of, you know, my ceiling heights are really low, a little bit in this one area, which is might going to prevent me from getting the legal permit. Am I good to run this as a second suite anyway? The danger in doing that is, well, Andy, I mean, we've experienced it with different investors when they call us and tell us what happens with the city. But have you seen anyone where the city kind of is
2: shutting down anyone? Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I I do come across... Uh, A lot of situations where somebody will say, you know, I've done everything according to the building code and everything is safe here. Uh, Yeah. And then and then and then what happens is that, uh, um, you know, for some reason, their tenant has an issue with a neighbor. And so this is the biggest issue. And this is actually the uh, uh, the source of probably about 25 percent of my business is um, people will come to me after they've gotten that notice on the door or for knock from the inspector. To say that uh, we noticed that you have multiple tenants in here because the neighbor called us, right? We won't tell you which neighbor, but we opened up a file. And unfortunately, in those situations, even though you have everything done properly, um, and
0: they're in an area of the city that's zoned for it,
2: yes, yes, they can't. They can't continue. They either have to bring it up to standard now, or they have to uh, basically remove the, uh, the the cooking facility so that it's not a legal apartment. The good news is that. Uh, Most of the cities we've worked with, they're not very, uh, in my experience anyways, they haven't been very heavy handed in terms of saying to people that, you know, they're going to, you know, they're going to find them right away or they're going to, uh, you know, shut them down right away. Usually they'll give them an opportunity to sort of do what's necessary. Um, So in those situations, that's sort of the good news, right? Um, So my recommendation would be that, you know, if you're doing it brand new, you might as well just go through the process now. and then in the other in, in the other instance where you already have it, it's totally up to them, right? I can't I can't make a decision for somebody. Yeah. Uh, the, they- the
0: the worst case scenarios that we've seen is when someone's operating a quote unquote second suite in an area of the city that's not zoned for them, and then those tenants that are in the basement have a problem with the neighbor, and then the city's called to the house, and then it's just a complete shutdown. Because yep. the the you know they're not zoned they're not in an area that's zoned for it so they're, the city's just saying hey you can't run this here and that turns into a disaster because now you have tenants living down there that needed to find a new place to live maybe the income on the property that you thought it was going to generate is now cut almost in half so those are kind of the nastiest kind of situations
2: sometimes the tenants will call too like after that's they, true yeah. we've heard situations yeah. like this yeah
0: because they're trying to get the landlord in basically in some kind of trouble for whatever reason.
2: Yeah, so they have a dispute, yeah, right? Yeah, it happens yeah. sometimes, right? Landlords and yeah. tenants? Yeah, There's sure. disputes we've sometimes, of, right? Yeah, we've yeah. heard about <laughs> that kind of situation. On oh, occasion, okay. yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, sometimes when, um, you know, down the road, like yeah, sometimes yeah. they and left, th- they've left already and it could be just, kind of a little <laughs> little kind of stab right back at the landlord yeah. It's true
0: and those are the kinds of situations that we've heard of yeah um, it always kinds of gets rectified but uh, the bottom line in those situations is that if you thought you were going to get a certain amount of income on the property you're likely not because you're gonna have to turn it into just a single uh, family rental as opposed to a uh, second suite and kind of because the income in places like a Barrie or a kitchen or wherever we're doing this the east side of the city The income can really change when you do a second suite. The reason we started talking about this is this, when this Bill 140 got announced, Nick at one of our events went out and said, hey, everyone, we've been doing a lot of single family for a a long time, but prices keep increasing, obviously, in this area. Here's an opportunity to really raise the income and create some cash flow on properties, which makes these so interesting. Because on some of the uh, second suite stuff that we've seen, um, we're renting out the main floor, for you know, fourteen, fifteen, even sixteen hundred dollars. Oh,
1: more. We've we've right. done some some at
0: 1800 dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So conservatively, we can say fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars. Sure, some at yeah, eighteen hundred dollars. And the basement's shocking me because the basement was nine hundred back in the day, but now it's a thousand, 1, eleven hundred, 1, twelve hundred. We've seen some. I think we've seen one basement now at fourteen hundred. Yeah, multiple. Yeah, yeah multiple. Yeah, so yeah. you're talking anywhere now from. What is that from twenty eight, twenty nine hundred to thirty three, thirty four hundred dollar range on one quote unquote single family home that's legally operating as a second suite? Yeah, Dr- drastically
1: yeah. changes the numbers.
2: Yeah, it, it's crazy how much um, people are charging for well done. Really nice basement really apartments nice, now. We get, well, that's
1: the problem because because I mean, it, there's no there's no the supply that's out there is kind of crappy. It's like it's like so much other rental housing. You know, when when you keep your your stuff up to a certain standard in a market that has just low standards historically, you know, the stereotype of low standards and it kind of applies to most of the the units available. It's they're easy to fill and they're easy to get a premium on right? It's just kind of what it's worth.
0: So you've been shocked on some of the prices people are getting for the basements as well then?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like sometimes uh, I'll I'll follow up with a client after they've uh, rented it out because I just want to get the number so that I can show other people, right? And yeah, over $3,000 for, for both units uh, up and down. And I think one of the big things, the reasons for that is that, uh, you know, 20 years ago, if you lived in a basement apartment, there was certain stigma associated with that, right? It was like, you know, it's no, it kind fair. of like a shady yeah. shady place totally. to live in a basement apartment. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. you know, given where real estate prices are, given um, the fact that, uh, you know, a lot of people are in certain circumstances, right? It may be like uh, individual people, students, um, uh, elderly people where, uh, you know, living in a, an entire house or even in a, a, a large section of the house, whether it's rent or owning is not a financial... Uh, feasible like it's not feasible for them but uh, they still are potentially you know middle income earners and they want to live in a place that's nice comfortable and healthy for them and so their demand for these secondary units is that it has to be done well so a lot lot of them look like really nice condos right and a lot of people don't
1: want to live in condos or apartments like in buildings and take elevators and have underground parking and that type of thing they want a driveway that they can pull up to and just one set of stairs they can get in another unit for so like some people prefer the condo they want the high unit with the view and stuff like that but but some people don't right so there's uh yeah there's there's demand for them it's also
0: a reflection of what's happening in this area of the world right in canada there was always this kind of perception that you would kind of grow up and buy your single family home for your family but when we visit our family in Europe I mean Carol still has my wife has relatives in Italy People aren't growing up outside of Florence thinking they're going to grow up, they're going to go to university, and then they're going to buy a single-family home somewhere in Florence.
2: In the burbs of Florence. Yeah, in the burbs
0: of Florence. <laughs> that doesn't happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even some of our family, Nick, in, in Croatia and in some of the cities that they're living in there, no one was buying, like, the single-family homes kind of even in the city. You know, we had one aunt living in an apartment that was actually – um, the lower unit was actually the basement suite of this like 20 floor, 20 story building. She lived kind of like down one level. Um, so in European cities that have, you know, population growth, that's been much longer than the golden horseshoe area, this is quite normal to not live or occupy the entire dwelling, the entire structure that you're living in. But in Canada, we've kind of grown up that way. Yes. You yeah, know, it's, it's and, a- and, uh, I'm sure, um, I'm sure we could talk about Asia as well, but that North America is kind of unique that way, that this whole idea that you're going to grow up and get a single family home. So Toronto's kind of going through its growth moment here where perceptions are changing, right?
2: Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. And uh, one of the other points about living in, um, let's say, a, a basement apartment or a secondary suite that's within that property is that they... They now have access to community amenities that they wouldn't have, say, if they live in a condo or an apartment. So a lot of times, you know, if there's a, if there's a, a couple with one child or two, two kids, if they can get that address and they can get access to the school, then the demand becomes higher. And that's where you see the higher rents as well. So we have a lot of clients where they will actually have a small family living in the basement, right? One or two kids uh, in a two, three bedroom basement apartment. And they're able to easily command $1,400 because it's done really well and it's in a good neighborhood. Where Are
0: you Are you seeing any trends of areas that are surprising you? Like where are you seeing some second suites? Are you seeing some in, happen in Hamilton more than Barrie or are you seeing more in Toronto than elsewhere? Are
2: you seeing any trends that kind of surprise you or are interesting? Well, just overall, um, you know, just, just the trends of uh, – Intensification, right? I know uh, Nick. You 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 had a video uh, recently that talked a bit, uh, about that and sort of what the what, the the policies are, towards that. Um, majority of my business is actually sort of in this area of the Greater Toronto Region, in sort of the Hamilton area. So I do see a lot of uh, a lot of my work is in Hamilton, specifically the Hamilton Mountain. But uh, overall, yeah, there's there's that trend everywhere. The cities are trying to uh, create more housing units, and for me specifically, I mean, secondary units to me seems like just a low-hanging fruit of what's the po- what the possibilities are. Um, it's I just see it as sort of that stepping stone to what the next thing is uh, in terms of policy with the government and what their intentions are long-term, and uh, and seeing that uh, those opportunities, right, whether it's uh, uh, triplexes, fourplexes, or uh, potentially doing um, uh, other types of uh, accessory structures and things like that basically infill development is where we see in, infill and intensification is where we see the, the long-term trends and policies
1: yeah well, there's, there's gonna be more and more of that it's just it's just not going to change like everything if you look around you all density is just getting higher and higher I mean for it, it it's not a trend that's going to change because they're going to need land and the land is not readily available in in you know the, the urban areas so they have to go higher density in smaller smaller uh, living units.
0: After you and I saw the, uh, I, I don't know if you've heard about this yet, Andy, but there's the Green Belt. But have you seen the Blue Belt, which is the proposal of the extension of the Green Belt? Have you seen these maps? I haven't seen the Blue Belt. Yeah, that's so huge. the Blue Belt's that you, huge. The, yeah. the Blue Belt is huge. So I'm not sure how far they are on that process, but that's something we're watching and we're going to be sharing with. Uh, with uh, some uh, rock star members at one of the upcoming events, but I wanted to talk to you about what a, you mentioned. Another accessory, you know, this might be something where the government just does other things like triplexes and fourplexes and that kind of stuff, or other accessory units. What would be another accessory unit?
2: Um, so one thing that they're doing uh, on the west coast, uh, and they recently implemented in Ottawa, is uh, uh, coach houses. So actually, in in Vancouver, they call them uh, laneway houses. So there has to be sort of a laneway there. So in Vancouver, they will allow uh, a laneway house in your backyard plus a secondary suite. So in total, you have three units on a single family neighborhood uh, in Vancouver. And that's something that's very common in the in the West Coast, uh, U.S. as well. And Ottawa now doing something So Ottawa will allow you to have a coach house, so basically a backyard cottage that is a fully functional unit. So whatever, 500, 600 square feet or up to 1,000 square feet, something like that. And it's got to tie into the utilities of the main house. Uh, the issue with that is that it's very, exp- it's not cheap to build one of those things, right? It's going to cost you probably $150,000 to build one of those. Um, and then also it takes away from your ability to have uh, your basement apartment. But here in Canada, all our houses it takes, have. Bas- it takes away because. Uh, the zoning. So the zoning won't allow you oh, to have it. three, okay. right? So I, I see, uh, you know. Probably within a few years, uh, and there's a lot of rumblings in the city of Toronto about this, is to have to allow laneway houses. I think that's going to be the first step. And there may be uh, some talk later on of being a pe- having the ability to do accessory units in your backyard as well, potentially with uh, secondary suites. So if you look at all of our lots uh, in North America, the way they're designed, they're just these cul-de-sacs and, street- and suburban neighborhoods where you have a really long, narrow lot. So something like 40 or 50 by 150. That back portion is not being utilized to its fullest extent, right? So, uh, slowly slow as, as time progresses, I think the governments are going to start saying that we're going to make we're going to have to make better use of that. This that is market. why
0: I think if you're in an area like you brought up Hamilton, if you're in an area like Hamilton and you can buy a lot now on a house with one of these deeper lots, you might you might have some potential in the future for doing some awesome stuff this is also kind of just another thing to me that i remember nick a few years ago people were telling us ah you know what prices for properties are getting so high and we, you know you can't really create the cash flow anymore there's always a way to create cash flow things are always dynamically changing if you're kind of creatively thinking about this kind of stuff you could be doing these things years ago like when andy you had started I think a lot of times people look at property prices and then they just shut down thinking, oh my God, the idea of being a real estate investor is over. Look what's happened in the last few years with second suites. Now there's like a legal way to do it and to up your income on one single family property.
1: Uh, I was talking to someone yesterday that was watched some webinar or something from some investor. Um, He mentioned it was someone down in Ohio somewhere. And he said, hey, like, you know, the the way I'm looking at it because of, or he was talking to him based on what he said is like, there's not, there's no real good investment opportunities and we're set for a big crash because like, have you heard of this thing called the 1% rule? Oh. And I started laughing because I'm like, well, yeah, I have. And I mean, that disappeared here a long time ago. So for anyone listening, the 1% rule is like if the, if the, you know, you try to get 1% of the value of the home in to, rent, in rent, right? So if the home's 500,000, you try to get $5,000 in rent. And I'm like, yeah, that, those dynamics. We were actually hitting that really briefly around the year yeah. two. 2000, yeah. right? So, so, but those dynamics changed a lot and it doesn't mean that the market, and, and I mean, look, it, this is our opinion, right? But it doesn't mean there's the, a market correction for rentals because you can still generate cash flow to your point. So you don't need 1% of the rent to generate cash flow. I'd jump on an opportunity to to buy something, a property that generates, you know, that, that meets that rule. But it's just in this area, it doesn't really happen because it's, it's a different area um the areas he was talking about don't have the same population numbers the immigration numbers the employment numbers that type of thing but to us it's still about generating cash flow because the way i always explain this is like the 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 more cash flow you have on a property the greater the thicker your safety net is when you invest in real estate nothing's ever guaranteed right but if you're generating 500 bucks a month in cash flow then you have a much thicker safety net than someone that's generating 20 bucks a month or someone that that's negative and is just banking on appreciation and um this gives you those opportunities, yeah, right? Because historically, like we've spoken about before, which is always important to remember, is you know even if the underlying value of the property changes, historically, rents don't shift in areas. Even, even areas like, it, we'll go back to Ohio, since this guy was speaking specifically about Ohio, when property values got hit by 60%, rents didn't move. Demand for rentals actually increased as people were moving out of their homes. So... So like you know those are the the dynamics I think people sometimes overlook you know when when they're when they're talking to investors from other areas that aren't uh, don't understand kind of our area specifically. I, I think
0: where I messed up at early on reading books is I didn't understand that some of these strategies like the one percent rule it's not it's not just different areas it's different eras. So, for example, I was reading the No Money Down stuff uh, in the late... uh, These books were written in the 1980s, and I was reading the book in the 1990s. uh, And it was like, you know, how to buy real estate with no money down. But those books... And basically, it taught you to go to the homeowner and say... Andy, if you're selling me the property, will you hold back 20% and then, you know, I'll go back, get a get a financing for 80% and then you're holding back 20%, that's gonna act as my down payment and technically I'm buying the house uh, as no money down as long as all the lenders agree to all this stuff or you hold the whole thing back 100% and I'm buying it, no money down and you're holding the whole mortgage, selling me the property. But I was reading these books in the 90s when they were written in the 80s hmm. and in the 80s with high interest rates, nobody could sell. So you were doing, uh, creative strategies were really common and there was a lot of no money down investing. But in the 90s. And we, people
1: were putting much more money down to acquire the property yeah, of as well, right? Yeah, there's so. that.
0: There's that. And then so in the late 1990s, I wrote up on a Word document. I wrote down I don't know if it was work or what was it before Word? Word, word perfect word, perfect, word perfect I don't know what Corro I wrote yeah I don't know yeah. what I wrote this offer in but I wrote like a 15 page offer that was this no money down offer like I wrote the offer myself and I presented it to this guy Nick we had bought one property him, remember yeah. I presented it to this guy older gentleman he was in his 70s he was selling these properties and I said hey I want to buy this property from you here's my offer and he looked at it realized right away that it was a no money down offer and he put his um, his arm around me and he kind of just chuckled he looked at me and laughed he said son and that's when I knew it was all over when he said, son, he goes, son, <laughs> we used to do this back in the day. We're not doing this anymore. He goes, in, and then he went on to explain that when interest rates were kind of where they were at that time, I think in the late 90s, 2000 era, I don't know, 6 7%, wherever they were, he goes, we can just sell the property. I'm not going to hold anything back. I just want my money. You know, properties are selling. We used to do this when properties wouldn't sell. You know, so it was just a different economic era. So you couldn't make these no money down offers because there was just no demand for them. So real estate investing is just a dynamic thing where you always have to kind of go with the flow. And there's one more thing Andy, on on talking about second suites here. I just feel that in this area, you're going to want to own property 10, 15 and 20 years from now. So if you can figure out a way using second suites to buy a property now and make it cash flow for you, I don't think 10 and 20 years from now, you're going to be upset that you purchased a property in this area of Canada. You know, and none of us have a crystal ball. Obviously, yeah. it's just from my take on immigration data and population. Yeah, growth. But if you're
1: owning a property that someone else is paying off for you, like, I mean, that's that's the reality of it. So it's like, you look, if, if you're investing in anything I, and someone else is going to pay for me, I'm, I'm all for it. You know, cars depreciate as a depreciating asset. But if someone else is going to pay for it for me, then let's bring it on. You know, so that changes it. Stocks, mutual funds, whatever it is, if someone else is paying, it changes the dynamics a little bit, right? Yeah,
2: and and the thing that we're, my strategy really is to uh, buy something that is gonna work immediately right now, even if it's just break even. It's gonna work right now and yeah. I'm not feeding it, but there's that big potential for, th- for things later on that I can do to the property, right? So I do encourage uh, investors to think outside the box in terms of not just looking for Uh, you know uh, a product right now that works but what can it be potentially given all the information that that we have right now knowing that the cities want to do intensification knowing that they want you to build uh, using infill strategies and uh, and basically provide more density in the neighborhoods right so one thing I tell a lot of people is that if you're gonna all things being equal if you can buy a corner lot buy a corner lot because that that corner lot that backyard of that house that's facing another street. Easily accessible, it gives you options. So even if it doesn't meet the requirements for the bylaws right now, you can potentially push for it. You can hire an urban planner or an architect who knows what they're doing and you can push for this with the city. And the good thing is that the cities are on your side now. They're gonna want you to do that. So um, our mutual friend Charles Waugh, uh, and I, so we've worked and on our projects. Charles project. Wall
0: found his way onto the podcast. <laughs> Has Charles Wall paid you to say his
2: name on this podcast, Andy? I'm joking. I'm joking. Go ahead. Oh, uh, you, you blew my cover. <laughs> Charles, you got to pay me more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so so basically you, know, I'm working with him on on several projects. and what we're looking at is, you know, to make sure that the the existing uh, property, the existing uh, property, and the structure on it works right now, and then going through and really knowing what the city wants to do based on their zoning bylaws and their official plan, and working with an urban planner to say how can we improve this property and how can we add more value to it by potentially doing severances, by potentially adding in additional structures. So those types of opportunities are everywhere, and I think that with investors and um, you know a lot, you know I I go to a lot of investor meetings and different investor groups, and everybody is trying to just clamor over that last piece of property. It's like, you know, something pops up on MLS, it's like we're all jumping on it, right? And, and I think that, yeah, I mean, that's, that still works because of the market that we're in and there's a lot of people moving in here and th- th- it's valuable, but you can really sort of kick, up, kick it up a notch if you can say, yes, I'm gonna take this, which is gonna work great right now, I'm gonna add in a secondary suite, but can I also build something here later? Can I, you know, do an accessory suite or can I, uh, an accessory structure or can I build another house behind here? And, and those are the things that I do encourage people to look more into. Yeah,
0: with some creativity and long-term thinking, I mean, the sky is the limit. So wh- I, I got to know, what, uh, what did your family say when you decided you wanted to walk away from your job? Anybody protest?
2: Uh, no. Everybody was on board? <laughs> yeah. They you were frustrated? Yeah, I was frustrated and uh, I mean, I had a great job and uh, my boss was great. There was a lot of flexibility, similar to what uh, Er Irwin's situation uh, uh, when he mentioned on his podcast. But it was just sort of long term, right? Sort of thinking, having that flexibility and being able to say, uh, you know, I want to take a month off and go somewhere. And I I was able to do that before, too, but I always felt a little guilty. It's like, uh, you know what, I can work remotely for a couple of weeks and I take a couple of weeks off. I didn't want to do that. I want to basically you know, just do it on my terms, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. So, so, Andy, so we want to thank you for jumping on here. Um, you teach a class to
0: Rockstar members here, so we're for, you know grateful that you do that. We get a lot of good feedback of your class, so that's something that you contribute to Rockstar members. No, I appreciate the time. opportunity to do that. Yeah, thank so you. very cool. That's very cool of you. Um, good chatting. We're going to have you on again. I have a feeling this whole topic is going to be something we're going to be talking about for many years, so we'll be talking what about, to you. But what
1: about if people want more insight information?
2: Yeah, where, w- where would
0: they find you? What's the, where's the best place to track yeah, down Yeah, so it's just Andy my Trend. website,
2: uh, SweetEditions.com. That's spelled S-U-I-T-E, Editions.com. You'd be surprised how many people go to S-W-E-E-T, Editions.com. And it's some lady the, you, uh, It's some lady in the U.S. that makes, uh, I think she makes confectionery or something. Really? <laughs> yeah. Does she know
0: about you yet? Are you getting any emails forwarded? No, I over, should no, shoot her a message yeah, and yeah, yeah, figure yeah. out hey, this domain. Hey, yeah. So SweetEditions.com, uh, S-U-I-T-E.
2: Editions.com. Yeah, so they can um, uh, contact me there, and there's a I have a free ebook that they can download, which uh, outlines a lot of the, the things that we've been talking about. Yeah, awesome. I forgot well. you
0: offer that. Yeah. That's great. Awesome, Andy. Okay, cool. We'll have you on again soon. Thanks for this, Andy. Thanks, guys. Hey, it's Tom Kradz again. So hopefully you enjoyed that with Andy Tran. Um, we always appreciate when anyone pops in here and, and uh, shares good information like he just did. If you want any real estate information of any types, whether it's one of our books, training class, videos, the best place to go for that is always going to be rockstarinnercircle.com. So you can go to rockstarinnercircle.com. We have three different books there that we give away, the Income for Life book, one of our On the Streets book, which is a, a series of different articles we've written over the years, and then the Your Life, Your Term, book, which is a book where er every chapter is written by a different investor that we've worked with over the years. We get a lot of great feedback on that book. It's probably the book we've done the least promotion around, um, but you can get a free copy of that book there as well, including the one that we share the most, which is Income for Life for Canadians. That book's on there too. So three books you can get. um, You can sign up for our introductory training class on that website as well. There's tons of blog posts and articles and different resources on that site. So everything you want as a real estate investor, you can check out at rockstarinnercircle.com thank you so much for listening thank you for the great feedback that we're getting if you haven't had a chance to give us some feedback on iTunes we'd appreciate it if you could it means a whole bunch to us it really kind of is the juice that keeps this going we're still having a blast doing all this stuff um, but any feedback you can share whether in person via email on iTunes directly we really appreciate it all so thank you to all of you who have done that And if you haven't had a chance to do that when you see us or if you get a chance to email us or anything like that please feel free to share your feedback um, the the E- the best email for um, to, to give us something from these podcasts is podcast at rockstarinnercircle.com. if you email podcast at rockstar that will always find its way to us in one way shape or form as well That's it Thanks for listening until next time your life your terms.